Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with film critic Glenn Kinney. You know, 2001 is kind of a transcendent experience. Uh, Clockwork Orange is a transgressive experience. So what was uh, your impression of when Kubrick decided, I'm going to now do a Thackeray novel? Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, it's interesting. I uh, I um, I resist the uh, notion of ever actually, you know, thinking that I could get into uh Kubrick's head, and uh, you know, as uh, a lot of the people around him uh, have uh, noted, uh, there's been uh, a lot of presumption concerning that. I think, you know, if you look at what he uh, did in the film itself, there's definitely some uh, aspects of it um, in which it can be seen as a uh, as a uh, as a technical exercise. You know, he uh, and, and you know. Uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that he did in this period, you know, uh, you know, even though he's uh, often painted as reclusive and so on and so forth, he uh, he was always, he was very aware and he kept his eye out for a lot of things and he was always looking for new challenges uh, um, photographically and um, what he did with Lyndon was try and you know create a period piece that wasn't this overlit, overstaged. Uh, Spectacle, but was captured uh, as naturalistically. Uh, that's probably not the right word, but uh, you know, with as little pomp and circumstances as possible in terms of the setup. So, you know, using these incredible lenses that could capture uh, candlelight, uh, you know, as opposed to uh, you know lighting a, lighting a scene uh, with a lot of cleaves and making it look very artificial. You know, it's almost as if his aim was uh, not only to uh, you know. Uh, Obviously, you know, you don't need, you know, even though there's been debate about the extent to which, uh, you know, uh, the extent to which he actually contrived to emulate the look of, of 18th century uh, art, uh, just by looking at uh, the way, uh, you know, the way the way these things are shot and lit, you can see, obviously, that was an inspiration. And, you know, I think, you know, I think what appeals to him about the actual subject matter is uh, that sense of mordant irony that uh, is a uh, is a feature of, uh, of 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 all of his major films, going right from the kill the end of the killing to uh, you know I was cured all right, uh, and uh, in Barry Lyndon you have this whole idea you know the epilogue uh, of uh, you know. Um, these uh, these people all lived and fought under the reign of George the Third, and uh, they are all equal now. You know Kubrick's view of human nature or, or the world was that life is uh, interesting, and then you die. Uh, and uh, you know that's uh, this is this is another iteration of that. And I think you know any salvation or any redemption or any pleasure 
that can be had in life is, I think, uh, it's his credo that uh, the reason he he did all these things is is because you know art art is not a redemptive medium, but it is uh, a recording. Uh, it is it is something. Um, so you know, I think uh, you know his passion and his problem solving, uh, you know, pragmatic side were both. Uh, at full play in this movie and it's interesting that you know because of its length and uh, its theme and its relative slowness that people think it's uncharacter you know some people uh, think it's uncharacteristic of Kubrick because it's not you know not nearly as sensationalistic as Clockwork Orange but I think it's completely of a piece with with everything he's done. Mm-hmm. It's not even a matter of it being a different side of his personality. It's absolutely his personality. It's just and uh, a different iteration of his aesthetic. It's kind of akin, in, and I guess it explains why, uh, from what I've read, it's Scorsese's favorite Kubrick, and that, you know, the same claim for made of Scorsese when Age of Innocence came out, but obviously if you look at Age of Innocence, that's clearly, you know, a piece of what the theme Scorsese always... Yeah. Is, is I mean, it's not, it's not as if Barry Lyndon is Stanley Kubrick's nice film. You know, there's nothing right. nice about it. All sorts of nasty things happen. There are nasty things that are that are happening within the the context of of the social codes, you know, with, you know, within the circumscribed context of the social modes of the time, you know. Uh, that's the difference, and he's true to that, and I think it amuses him to see these passions and betrayals uh, conveyed in in this in this somewhat different code. But you know, this is there's there's there's, there's quite a bit of emotional brutality here. Right. Um, and I'm, I've never read the novel. Have you read the Thackeray novel? Uh, no, I have not. I mean, I've read sections of it, but I've never read it in its entirety. You know, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not Thackeray's best known novel. I think his best known novel is Vanity Fair, which has been uh, made into a number of films that have very little to do with uh, with Thackeray's uh, mm-hmm. actual vision. I think you know this is this is a far more uh, you know. People have, have talked of Thackeray as a satirist. He's, you know, he's not a satirist in the in the mode of Swift, who was very polemical. But he is an ironist of of the of the social mores of the time, and I think that appeals to uh, to Kubrick. You know, his um, he didn't collaborate with Terry Southern overtly on more than one film, but you know, I think his sensibility and Southern's sensibility were very similar, and it was in fact. Southern suggestion that Kubrick read Clockwork Orange, and it's a bit of a stretch to say that Thackeray was the Terry Southern of his time, obviously. But you know, they had a, there's a similar concern in the works with the uh, with the uh, with the uh, mocking the uh, the hypocrisies and it, with that within within the social mores and practices of the time. So it's very it's a the sardonic edge. Uh, you know, Thackeray's more sardonic than Dickens. He's less sentimental than Dickens, and that uh, certainly appeals. You know, Kubrick is uh, is about you know, among other things, about the least sentimental um, mainstream conventional narrative filmmaker you can uh, you can conceive. Right. Well, I'll ask you this on a, on a more historical perspective note, and maybe you can attest to this uh, if you haven't, if you recall. What was it like in '75 when, at the really the height, you know, you know the final of a, you know, the new Hollywood, so 
for Barry Lyndon to come out. It seemed it might be a little outside of what Yeah, I mean that was the interesting thing about it though. You know, and that's why it, with hindsight it's 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 it becomes an even more interesting film, you know, it be there uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I again, not to presume to get inside Kubrick's head, but you know, he, he like every other filmmaker, you do People always assume that, you know, uh, that they understand the reasons people, are, directors do certain things, you know. Um, people look at, you know, people now are, uh, on the on the Internet are looking at David Fincher, and they're saying, well, why is he doing this, you know, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie? They've already been made. What could he possibly think? You know, why is he waste, Why is he such a talented filmmaker wasting two years of his life? You know, the the presumption is, you know, it's strictly a paycheck job and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, you really have no idea, uh, honestly. Uh, people it's, it, it, people just love to uh, talk out of their um, firmaments about these things. And they, they, they just have no clue. And, uh, you know, the, just the whole, the whole um, beloved notion of, of directors who do one for them and uh, one for me and all this stuff none of it is true none of it is how things work you know more often than not it's 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 a lot more prosaic than that uh first of all you know it's 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 what you can do at a certain point in time you know what you have the opportunity to do um one of kubrick's most beloved projects that never came to fruition was his napoleon film um was Barry Lyndon a substitute for the Napoleon film? Not necessarily, but Barry Lyndon was the film that came together when it came together. That's like <laughs> the most important aspect of its making was that was the thing. This whole I you know, the to to ascribe any other motivations besides that really is to get into pretty dangerous areas. The idea that Kubrick was uh you know, uh deliberately stepping back from the sex and violence of Clockwork Orange is, you know, again, not necessarily so the idea that um you know he was he was making this uh, you know uh period piece as a as a as a counterstatement to the uh contemporary uh film you know the the film set in contemporary times that were coming out of the new hollywood again not so you know he had the opportunity he had the uh you know script he had uh he had worked on the technology uh and uh you know you know, he, as, as we know, he had a number of projects in all sorts of varying states of development at all sorts of times. Uh, you know, eyes wide shut. The 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 whole idea of adapting uh, Schnitzler's uh, Traum novel was something he'd he'd wanted to do for years, also. So, um, what 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 happens in in the actual pragmatic? You know, uh, as much latitude as Kubrick got from Warner Brothers, and as much as you know, he was supported by them. It's not as if, you know, again, it's not as if he could snap his fingers and uh, just make them do his bidding. And point of fact, you know, Clockwork Orange was his attempt at doing a low-budget film because, uh, you know, 2001 had, had cost so very, very much. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he understood that as a filmmaker, in order to maintain a certain amount of, of independence to do the things that he wanted, he was going to have to, uh, you know, or, or it would have behooved him to uh, to cut costs to become more of a small, mobile, independent unit, uh, you know, and applying, you know, what the latest technology to, to, to that idea. So, 
you know, to 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 make Barry Lyndon seem like a more um, self-conscious or Machiavellian kind of uh, film statement than it actually was, I think is uh, is a is a kind of a you know a reductive blind alley. You know, it just uh, you know the confluence of 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 of, um, of occurrences necessary to make it possible to be made is what led to its being made. Um, okay. I think as for you know, and it did seem out of step with the times, and it did surprise people who you know who thought that you know after Clockwork Orange that he would then you know step up. Um, things in terms of uh relative explicitness of content you know there's that whole uh you know he had he had discussed the idea of making a, a pornographic movie with you know hollywood production values and that in fact was the uh, was the satirical basis for the terry southern novel blue movie which was kind of a kubrick send up and tribute at the same time he wasn't going to do that you know and and uh, you know the the fact is that barry linden was something he he wanted to do and that came together uh in in the way that it did uh just because the technology and the uh the casting possibilities aligned themselves at the right time and it was apparently a miserable shoot difficult very difficult and so then to move on to kubrick's next film which is nothing like the previous films uh 1980s the shining which is uh you know now that the summer movie mentality has taken over the whole calendar year Interesting to note that The Shining was a summer release. Oh, yeah. And, and a profitable one at that. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, you know, Vitaly, Leon Vitaly, Kubrick's uh, friend and uh, longtime personal assistant on every one of his projects after Barry Lyndon, um, often talks of, uh, you know, Kubrick being, you know, not just a great filmmaker, a, a great artist, but also a pragmatist. And uh, uh, a guy who understands, uh, who understood a lot about, um exhibition um and who wanted his film seen you know he wanted his film seen by the widest audience that it was possible to reach and uh he knew you know he knew that horror you know uh you know uh in in so far as he was interested in in human psychology and um you know I think I think he 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 found some inherent contradictions in the approach to the supernatural in King's book that made it more interesting for him than uh than uh your average ghost story would be. So uh, you know, I think you know the ambiguities of the shining the the the, the whole what really happened question that people try and cite all sorts of uh, evidence to answer. I think the what really happened question is the thing about it that interests him and he doesn't have the answer to it and uh instead sort of concentrates on asking the question or making us aware of the question while at the same time providing us with uh, with real scares it's it's it, and it's interesting too that people talk about whether or not the film is psychologically convincing you know well look at jack nicholson he's crazy from the beginning you know um well is he i mean um the fact that we're debating it in the first place uh brings up brings up a, a whole other uh, barrel of ambiguities but you know all the ambiguities aside the the thing that you know really makes the film work uh is is the beautiful way in which it's made the steady cam following Danny on his big wheel throughout the halls of the hotel this is the the whole way he manipulates the atmosphere creates and manipulates the atmosphere is is just uh breathtaking yeah well, and maybe uh, what you think about this is that, you know, most horror films, 
populist horror films, they start off, you know, uh, relatively slow or steady and constantly build momentum and build up pace and just keep mm-hmm. and just keep building up pace and moving faster and faster and faster. The Shining is different in that it is a deliberately paced film, uh, almost up until I would say at least until the last fifteen minutes. Yeah. When it finally kind of goes berserk. Erupts, uh, you know, with that, uh, with the, with the almost, with almost like a siren. I'm sure. I'm not, I don't recall if it's yeah. the Penderecki music or the Bartok right. music that sets it off, but it's like. All of a sudden, it's like whoa! But the the deliberateness of the pacing is 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 just fantastic. I, I think uh, you know there's so you know uh, people talk about the the compositions of the shots in this movie and the the steady cam work and all this stuff and they don't I, I think they don't you know uh, what 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 I think is re- like what is really fascinating and interesting about it is is uh, the use of time and how he. Uh, stretches and compresses time and just the the very sure way of putting one narrative foot in front of the other at a very particular pace and uh, letting that do a lot of the work of, of, of again, creating this uh, oppressive, uh, this wide open space that is at the same time an oppressively claustrophobic, closed-off atmosphere. And what about the Nicholson performance, which some critics have uh, praised, others have derided. It is probably his most uh, Jack-ish performance. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think this is a film I've seen a bunch of times, and there's nothing about Jack Torrance's character that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that's all I can say. I think uh, so. I think it works. Um, so I'll, I'll ask the question, the pinpoint question, and then. So uh, you totally buy the uh, the here's Johnny moment as, as a moment in character? Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's got a lot of problems to begin with. It's pretty clear that his his frustration with his marriage and his... He, he doesn't start out as this nice guy who goes crazy. He's clearly uh, in a lot of danger right from the start. He's... Rather half-heartedly stop drinking. Uh, we don't know whether he actually has any talent as a writer, but we do know that uh, he's not getting anywhere with it. He pretty clearly holds his wife in contempt. He doesn't understand his son. All of this is not a surprise. It's it's right there. His his insincerity of uh, my wife's a confirmed horror film buff. I mean, he he he. It's pretty. You know. He doesn't start off as this normal dude who then gets screwed up. He's a screwed up dude from the beginning, you know. And he's sitting on a huge amount of rage and resentment. Uh, and so when it all comes out, uh, you know, the craziness of it doesn't bother me in the least. Hmm. You know, I think it's fine. And also, well, in his uh, part of all this, his buried. Uh, I remember some people raised eyebrows when it came out. His buried, obviously buried racism. Oh yeah, uh, he's not a nice guy. I mean, he's not an unsympathetic guy, per se. You know, uh, you know, he's he's not a, he's not an ogre. He's a he's a he's a he's but he's he's a he's a pretty disturbed he's a pretty disturbed and damaged individual. I had asked you before, but you know, uh, it's rare to find people who can remember with as, as much clarity as you can. The original ending of The Shining. 
You were one of the lucky ones. Yeah, it was it was it was, a, it was one day only, the opening day in American theaters. There was about a four minute scene that took place in the uh, in the uh, in the hospital, and it's um, the uh, the hotel uh, the manager, the fellow who hires. Uh, you know the, the great character actor whose name is at the moment escaping me. Um, yeah, Barry Nelson uh, shows up. Uh, Stuart Ullman is the character. He's the guy who hires Jack Torrance at the beginning, and he visits uh, Wendy Torrance in the hospital and tells her that all the things that she and the audience saw—the blood coming out of the elevators, the uh, the men in costume doing dirty things to each other, uh, the whole manifestation of the. Uh, 1920s version of the Overlook. Uh, there's no physical evidence that any of that happened, and uh, uh, he tries to very nicely, uh, you know, assure her that essentially what she saw was an hallucination, and she finds this very upsetting. And it's only at that point, basically, there's the shot of the snowcat pulling away. Then it cuts to the hospital scene, and then it cuts to the shot of frozen Jack Torrance in the maze. Um, suggesting that his body has not yet been recovered, or what it's suggesting, and then it cuts to the slow tracking shot of uh, of the wall of photos at the Overlook with uh, someone who is remarkably Torrance-like uh, toasting in the 1920s. And apparently, Kubrick decided that scene was not necessary; that it, that that in itself spelled things out. Uh, too much, and uh, you know that evening, uh, a Warner Brothers representative with uh, some scotch tape and a razor blade went and cut that out, and it was gone. And it's never been put. It's never been put in as an extra on the DVD version. It's never been restored, and it probably never was. Uh, it never will be restored. It will never be seen. So, I feel like you know uh, when the Last of Us, who, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I suppose. Film, the film's initial reviewers must have seen it too if there was a pre-screening for reviewers um, but uh, yeah uh, I did see that and then I there, and then we were kind of confused because I think we saw the summer of 1980 we saw The Shining about nine times in theaters and we're like what the hell happened to that scene yeah there was uh, obviously no internet and constant movie magazines to get the word out that Kubrick had done and it took I guess it took a while for word to get out that that scene wasn't a figment of your imagination. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, and then seven years later, also a summer release, summer of 87, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Interesting film in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, weirdly enough, um, interesting because it was, uh, it's, it's a relatively short picture. Barry Lyndon and... Uh, and The Shining were both uh, kind of epic films. This one comes in at less than two hours, and it's an interesting, uh, almost conventional. Uh, uh, it's a it's a weird structure. It's a two part structure. It almost tells two different stories. One is the uh, the training, uh, the the marine training at Paris Island, that ends uh, with a, a really horrific standoff, and then. It's the survivors of that standoff going to uh, Vietnam and uh, doing, uh, you know, chasing things and shooting them. Uh, yeah, it's not even a two-hour film. Um, you know, pretty much his uh, his shortest film since Strangelove. And um, 
a fascinating picture because of the again uh the the way it was made you know uh recreating vietnam uh sort of landscapes down to the palm trees in england you know on a on a on a lot um and uh you know recruiting his cast from from mostly from largely unknown actors uh many of whom had to audition via videotape right. um you know, there is no. It's not a name. You know, not a name cast at all. Uh, at least at the time, all of these people went on to do, uh, to 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 have uh, to have uh, careers in in, in acting. Uh, but uh, none of them at the time were were really known quantities. You know, um, Matthew Modine. Modine you know, Modine was re- was had been around for a few years, but. Uh, but was not not a big star, uh, you know. Right. Um, he was in Birdie and Hotel New Hampshire and a few Vision other things. Quest. But pardon? Who can, who can Vision, Vision Quest, Quest. Yes. Oh my God. Um, you know, but uh, D'Onofrio was 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 pretty unknown, and it was it was helpful uh, for the part of, of of Private Pile that he uh, that he be someone who you hadn't seen before because it really I think uh, helped create the uh, the impression that character makes a. Uh, a pretty vivid impression. Um, kind of interesting because you know people say, well, uh, and again, why you know, Viet- Vietnam movies at the time were not anything new. You know, there'd been a lot of them, and including uh, Coppola's Apocalypse Now, which was considered uh, in some ways the the most you know the 2001: A Space Odyssey of Vietnam movies, a really hallucinatory experience. And what Fullmetal Jack. Yeah, and, and remember, Full Metal Jacket is coming literally like uh, three, three and a half months after Platoon wins Best Picture. Yeah, so again, it's uh, you know, it's not like it's not like he's 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 creating this. You know, uh, you know, uh, some people would be would be saying, well, you know, um, Kubrick's going to make the Vietnam movie that's going to blow everybody's Vietnam movies uh, out of the water, um, but. Uh, it doesn't play like that. It doesn't play like that at all. It doesn't play like some kind of definitive statement. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think you know, again, it's it's, uh, it's just it's just Kubrick kind of uh, taking the theme and uh, and and making the statement he 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 wants to make with it, which uh, you know again has to do with a pretty a pretty cynical. Um, approach uh to the to the idea of human nature where you know you're you're thrust into this situation and you either twist it around into a uh a weird us versus them um nihilist uh standoff which is you know what occurs in the in the first half with the private uh private pile and, and the drill sergeant or you just uh, you know, throw away your uh, idealism and do what you need to do to uh, stay alive in, uh, in 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 an impossible, incredibly dangerous situation, which is you know what you find uh, the attitude of, of Private Joker is in, in the second half. Um, you know, just as just as um, just as Barry Lyndon uh, articulated this rather mordant, ironic. Uh, Worldview of uh, you know a, 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 a putative civilization in which 
the values that are supposed to that you're supposed to stand for really don't mean all that much next to uh you know the the uh, ruthless you know pursuit of social status uh here the um the ultimate value is survival and if mm-hmm. it's not uh the ultimate value then the ultimate value is um you know one upsmanship and self destruction it's 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 not i wouldn't call it bitter because there's a certain kind of uh ironic sardonic detachment from it that that uh that uh you know sort of saves it from from being portentous but it's uh again it's not it's it's not it's it's not an entirely benevolent uh perspective I think it's not an entirely successful thing too because I think the uh the ostensible payoff on the uh on at the second half is uh, is is not as galvanic as as had been intended. Yeah, the uh the, the sniper that's revealed as a as a Vietnamese uh, Yeah, and I mean that's that's that in a sense is where it kind of suffers because there's been so many uh Vietnam films prior to it. I mean, we've been, you know, if you if you look at Vietnam films from the Green Berets on, I mean, the Green Berets is the most ridiculous Vietnam film for a number of reasons, but one of the more interesting reasons that the Green Berets is such a ridiculous film is because of its willful misapprehension about how the Vietnam War was fought. This whole notion of, you know, a mansion with a general that can be seduced. I mean, this is something out of, you know, the gen- you know, this is something out of a, a, a much more melodramatic depiction of war and intrigue that's more at home in the 30s picture and has nothing to do with with, you know, the contemporary warfare that uh, that uh, Guerrilla, you know, guerrilla tactics that were represented by the Cong, the Viet Cong, in the, in the Vietnam conflict, and you know, the other 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 Vietnam films hammered this home. You know, uh, Apocalypse Now, Charlie's idea of R and R was, you know, eating rice and 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 rat meat in a uh, you know in a crouched behind a bush. You know, uh, the whole idea of guerrilla war- warfare, where it could come from anywhere and could be anybody. Uh, was was hammered home in pictures like uh, Apocalypse Now and Platoon. So when Kubrick wants us to register the the whole what incredible irony uh, aspect of the sniper being a woman, it's like eh, not so much. Uh, you know, you know. I think there's a lot of you know the the stuff surrounding all that is a lot more interesting, and uh, it, it gives the film its own value. The whole the whole. Um, the whole way the, the 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 soldiers are getting picked off in the scene with the sniper prior to their discovery is an uh, incredibly virtuosic and suspenseful piece of filmmaking from him that is you know right up there with the best of his oeuvre. It's just the uh, the punchline just isn't that much. I mean, you could almost argue that that section is so good that no punchline could possibly do you know do <laughs> do justice to the rest of it. You know, um, but. Uh, and it, yeah, it's not quite it's not quite all there, man. And it does contain probably my favorite uh uh abrupt transition with a music cue that Kubrick ever did, which was literally going from D'Onofrio's brains on the wall to a fade to black to the opening guitar strings of these boots are made for walking. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, his use of music is is pretty hot in this picture. I mean, he's always been, you know, um he didn't he, he tended to use uh 
classical music quite a bit uh, in his pictures, and and that was always, uh, you know, his use of contemporary classical music and stuff like The Shining and uh, and um, 2001: A Space Odyssey has you know been been commented on and uh, rightly so. It's 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 pretty great uh, using you know. People sometimes wonder, well, what his attitude towards pop music was. Like, is he using it? Is he making fun of it? Is he like it? I mean, I don't really care. Uh, he used it well, and he used it uh, in uh, really effective ways. And for both, these boots are made for walking, and uh, Surf and Bird also are used uh, pretty well in this picture. And, uh, well, and humorously, ironically, uh, going to the chapel for the Tet Offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, 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 lay, there's a, there's a, there's a, a bit of, there's a bit of a sense of laying it on, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't mind it so much. I mean, if the, if the 60s were about anything, it's, uh, that's, that's, that, that could be one of those, uh, things. And what do you, what do you account for, you know, Full Metal Jacket, surprisingly, was a hit in the summer, uh, made like almost fifty million, which is amazing for a Kubrick take mm-hmm. on Vietnam. But what do you what do you account for the film's uh, unbelievable kind of stature, or at least the first half, the Paris Island half of the film, that has taken up residence in kind of pop culture? First of all, uh, you can't give enough credit to Arlie Ermey's performance as the uh, drill sergeant because he came out. And he he gave this thing, you know nobody had ever you know people had seen portrayals of drill sergeants but nobody had ever heard a drill sergeant you know Kubrick was really smart he let him do his own shtick he he gave us the real thing and that was incredibly galvanizing and made you sort of um, really just made you made you made your jaw drop honestly and uh, it's always useful when uh, a film actor can uh, can can give the audience some catchphrases, and God knows uh, this guy gave us some of the most obscene and disgusting catchphrases known to mankind. So I think that dynamic really helped, and the the the, the whole creepiness of the of the you know it's a, it becomes it's it's a it's a it's a basic training horror movie, you know it's like it's like the 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 Sands of Iwo Jima meets Psycho. Um, can't really go wrong with that kind of thing. And he does it, you know, it's it perfectly executed. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's any kind of uh, surprise that it that it uh, it's, that it entered uh, pop culture lore the way it did, just the way that uh, something like Goodfellas did, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the final film, and once again, final film, a summer film, 1999. And by this time, and, and I remember, I remember that summer so vividly. You do too, obviously. You, by this time, you were ensconced at Premier Magazine, and I remember all the uh, the issues that came out. There was a big uh, kind of oral history of Kubrick, uh, people talking about Kubrick in, a, I think it was in the July-August issue of 99 yeah. uh, that came out. And what, what are your memories? I mean, obviously, you know, it was like two and a half years in the making. Everyone was all abuzz that Kubrick was making his film, and he was, doing it with the most powerful, glamorous Hollywood couple at the time. And uh, I'll ask you, what is your recollection of the uh, the first uh, press screening that you saw of Eyes Wide Shut? Uh, it confounded people. You know, unfortunately, the first press screening we saw was the one with the uh, sort of digitally blacked out orgy sequence, which uh, 
didn't help matters. Uh, and I, I prefer the version, you know, as 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 stylized and and uh, it's it's a reflection of 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 this character's own, you know, rather uh, ben- elaborate but banal fantasy of of, of sexual freedom. Uh, but uh, you know, blacking it out the way it was the first time was probably not necessarily the best idea. Uh, but I remember people being befuddled by it. I remember people being. Uh, you know, almost, almost, you know, almost willfully not willing to accept Tom Cruise's performance. You know, at the time it was sort of like everybody was like, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's a great actress and what the hell is going on? And, um, you know, this was, this was sort of your, your locked in, your locked in perspective that you were approaching the film with. Um, and, uh, I remember people being kind of befuddled and, and kind of angry. I was really taken with the film, and I remain taken with it. I, I think, uh, you know, for me it gets deeper and richer and more interesting every time I watch it. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's necess- You know, I don't think it's it's perfect, and I think that it's quite probable and possible that had Kubrick not died, he would have uh, refined it further. The film is what it is, um, but I, I think it's I think it's pretty magnificent. So, um, but yeah, I do remember people being uh, being uh, befuddled and a little bit angry, and uh, you know, I mean, perspectives on Kubrick are are especially in New York are always uh, you know there's there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be a contingent of people who uh, take a certain line that he's overrated. Um, and uh you know this was this was certainly uh, fodder or uh, chum or what have you for that uh, notion you know i mean oh it doesn't look like new york and i'm like you know that, that's and, interesting. and i, I want to ask that's an interesting point cuz i i do remember everyone saying well it doesn't look like new york cuz and obviously uh, it's not going to cuz he didn't film in new york and you know it it says something on how much uh I guess uh, the demand for realism came about in the, I guess, the 12 years between Full Metal Jacket. No, you know what? It doesn't say anything like that because it's basically people nitpicking. Because people saying, well, Kubrick, you're so fucking meticulous. How come you did this? Whereas in every other film they see, you know, you could turn a corner on 23rd Street and then be on the promenade and nobody will say boo. It's this, you know, they hold, they, they will hold Kubrick to a certain standard and they'll do it willfully is what's happening there. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, obviously because of his reputation it invites that kind of scrutiny, but you know, what, 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 what will be accepted by certain people in a, in a different film, in one film will not be accepted by them because, you know, He's Kubrick, and we don't like him. And uh, we're just going to look. We're going to look for for things to uh, to find fault with, especially given his reputation as being such a you know mad scientist genius who gets everything right. Well, and you bring up the the could I also remember that the the, the adage of Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman's a great actress, and um, I think it's a very good Tom Cruise performance. But and what I find interesting, and this is something that. I don't know if Cooper gets enough credit about this, is that going, you know, we started off talking about Barry Lyndon, which had Ryan O'Neill, and 
Kubrick was kind of a mad genius at taking actors and what their public persona was and what their movie persona was yeah. and kind of uh, using it to his advantage and twisting it. And uh, I, mean, he did it, I think he did it with Ryan O'Neill and Barry Lyndon, did it with Nicholson and Shining, and, and most definitely I think he really knew what he wanted uh, to use Tom Cruise's image for and Eyes Wide Shut and kind of perverting it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, definitely, definitely taking uh, you know Mr. Clean and uh, and not I wouldn't say dirtying him up. That's a little facile, but definitely taking Mr. Clean and putting him through a particular kind of gauntlet. Mm-hmm. The other thing, you know, we were talking about, you know, Kubrick's kind of, you know, you said earlier he kind of, you know, while he's not uh, bitter, you know, he's, you know that his worldview is, you know, life is interesting, and then you, you know, world life is interesting, then you're gonna shuffle off this mortal coil. But Eyes Wide Shut is interesting in that um, there's that in there, but it has a very, some would say it has a very uh, hopeful ending that is maybe a little uh, uh, overtly hopeful ending. There's a little, maybe a little out of step with some of his previous films. Would you agree with that, or is that too fast? A little, no, fast? no, I mean, it's a hope. It's definitely a hopeful ending, for sure. I think it's absolutely, you know, it's it's saying, it's 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 a, it's a kind of a, if there's a lesson there, it's that honesty, you know, uh, this is a guy who is, you know, had a very uh, a long-term marriage that he very much uh, treasured and, uh, you know, looked at as his lifeline. And, you know, uh, there's a, a certain secret to uh, <laughs> maintaining a long-term marriage, which is that, you know, you have uh, love and affection and respect for each other, but you also uh, have to keep the uh, erotic impulse uh alive and kicking uh, or else it'll it'll rot. It's, it's a funny movie because it's a small scale and a big scale thing at the same time and uh you know it's an epic treatment of an intimate problem. Uh and uh you know yeah, I I wouldn't say, you know, I it wouldn't you know it's it's not it's it's, it's the least non it's the least non-optimistic ending uh of a Kubrick film since 2001. The critic question that you know I'm sure you get which is the which Kubrick film do you find yourself returning back to? Strange Love, Strange I think. Love? Um, yeah, that's the one I watch most often. Um, Talk about a bleak ending. Yeah, uh, yeah, but pretty funny. Um, you know, I love I love all the performances in it. Uh, I love the look of it. Um, I think that's you know, I think in a way it's as close. It's it's pretty much close to perfect i'd say you know and uh eyes wide shut uh barry linden those are you know um you know clockwork orange is hard to watch in a lot of respects uh there are certain moments of it that i love but i think you know stuff like strange love and, and the killing are just uh within their respective genres and and within their respective uh you know, focuses are just uh are just kind of untouchable mm-hmm. 